Welcome to the Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. Hallelujah. As we get ready to dive into the Word of God, go ahead and flip your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 8. And as you're flipping there, I want to kind of set the table for what we're talking about today. Do you ever wonder what Abraham, David, Paul, whoever would think if they were in our churches? You know, we can talk about some of the big things, right? Big, like, whoa, 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 this isn't how we were doing it. What changed? But I think it's also interesting to talk about some of the small language differences that we perceive words to mean something different than what they did. I'll give you some examples. Um, Jesus said, if someone sues you for your tunic, give them your cloak also. We see on Palm Sunday people throwing their cloaks down into the mud to be trampled by a donkey to make way for Jesus. That was a big, big deal for them. Okay, When they had a cloak, they're not talking about having a walk-in closet full of cloaks like we have today. right? That was a precious commodity. Think about it like your one nice, expensive, tailored suit jacket that you've got and you wear it to every wedding and every funeral because it's the one good one you got, right? That's the level of stuff that they're talking about where Jesus said, hey, make sure they get that too. That's what people were throwing in the mud so Jesus could trample it, okay? Just an idea of the way their words meant something different than a lot of times we perceive it. Outside of that, um, allegories about farming, right? A lot of that you see in Scripture talking about seeds, planting, reaping, sowing, growing, all of that meant something a little more to them, right? Jesus wasn't talking about your backyard raised bed that you do for fun, okay? What he was talking about, talking to, was a society that literally lived or died by the ability to bring in a harvest, right? So these concepts can be kind of cutesy to go back and look at how our tomato plant's doing, right? But it meant something very different. All of these concepts carried a weight of this is a life or death thing to the people in that culture at that time. Talk about water. There's a lot of um, comparisons to water in Scripture. Water was not turned on the faucet, it's good to go like it is for us today. Again, all of those analogies carried precious weight to them because water was a scarce resource, right? You had to find a way to get it to you. You had to find a way to clean it up, and you had to hope that you didn't run out or you died, right? So I want to today submit to you that there's another kind of mixed-up definition that we have that we apply to some scriptures that I don't think they applied. We talk about being in a rough time, and we call it being in a valley. But I want to reshape our minds a little bit around the idea of what it means to be in a valley and what that would mean to someone in scriptural times. So let's go ahead and read our verses. Some context here, Abram, not yet Abraham, and Lot, Um, had gotten some land together. They were running out of room. They needed to split up. And they were going to figure out how to go about that. So we'll pick up here at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the Jordan Valley, 
and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. All right, you can be seated. Does Lot's opinion and image of what a valley is match how we use that term? No, in fact, it was far from some depressing, miserable place. It was like a garden of the Lord, right? It had a bustling city, great highway access, right? Great school system, probably great tax rates, property tax, right? He was excited. There's a reason that the city of Sodom thrived there because it was a great place to live down in that valley. During that time, it was not unusual in any way, shape, or form to see settlements pop up specifically in valleys. Why? Right? Good question. Well, valleys typically have a body of water running through them. We just talked about how precious of a resource water was. With good water comes great plant life, comes a great opportunity for growing, for foraging, for hunting, because as the water draws the plants, the plants draw the animals, right? It was a great place to be. People were excited about valleys. When people of that time thought valley, they likely thought of it as a place of plenty, a place where their needs could be met. To further show this, we can read in the Old Testament and make note of how many times so-and-so went down to the such-and-such people that lived in the so-and-so valley, right? You'll find a lot. It happens a lot. People liked living in valleys, okay? Psalms 35 describes valleys as a beautiful place, decked with grain is what David says. Later in Psalms, we can see uh, valleys described as a place with springs where the fresh rain falls. Are you getting that our understanding of I'm in a valley doesn't necessarily match their understanding of what it means to be in a valley? Lot was excited to go to the valley. He chose the valley. He had all these options and he said, I'm taking the valley. This brings us to our first point today. Because as we see, things didn't work out so great for Lot. Just because the valley was beautiful, just because the valley was great, it doesn't mean it was the right choice. The danger of valleys is not being low. It's being comfortable. Our definition of valleys today is whatever the opposite of a mountain is, right? On the mountain, people are talking highly of us. We can look in the mirror without cringing. On the mountain, we're hearing from God. Everything is good. Everyone wants to be me. That's the mountain. We all can't wait to get to our next mountain. The way we define it, again, it's the mirror opposite when we're in the valley. We're depressed. We have a hard time getting out of bed. We get this crazy idea that God has somehow forsaken us. We're left in shadow and death. That's our image that we often say when when someone talks about, man, I'm in a valley right now. Today I want to throw out these definitions in favor of what I believe to be a more biblical accurate depiction of a mountain and a valley. If a valley is a place of settlement, if it's a place of comfort, then you don't necessarily have to be depressed to be in a valley. You just have to be stationary. Comfort looks different for each of us. But for all of us, comfort will run the risk 
of us getting stuck. The main downside of valleys in Lot's days were that while it was bountiful, it was really poorly defensible. It was hard to spot an enemy coming. It was hard to put up a fight against an enemy coming when they're up high and you're down low. That was the one drawback. Similarly, when you're in a valley and you're stuck, you may have all of your needs met there in your valley, but that doesn't mean you're in a place of safety. At one point or another, many of us have set out for comfort only to find ourselves stuck next to these springs and rivers that we have, unable to move on because we can't risk losing those things. I can point back to several times in my life where either by my own decisions or life just happening, I was in a bad spot. Anyone been in a bad spot before? Okay, awesome. We've got some humans here. In those places, people offered me their support. They offered me help, comfort. They offered me pity. And I'll be honest with you, every one of those things, including the pity, felt good. I thrived off of it. I wanted it. While the situations I was in weren't pleasant, the comfort that I received from people was. It was life for me. See, I wasn't in a valley because I was down. I was in a valley because I became dependent on that stream of kind words and supports that came my way. And I didn't want to risk leaving that. Now I want to be clear. There is nothing, 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 nothing wrong with receiving support and help and kind words and encouragement. And there's certainly nothing wrong with giving it. That's biblical. We should do that. What I am saying, though, is it's not biblical for you to take those things and decide, I'm going to set up camp right here. I'm going to build a home in this valley. Some people struggle with arrogance and refuse help. Other people on the other side, they get hooked on the comfort and they make no effort to jeopardize that stream of kind words or pity by solving their own problems. Again, I'm speaking from a place where I've had seasons where I've really wanted to just stay helpless because it feels good to be helped. And that's embarrassing to say to you, but that's reality. There are people who fall into that where it's difficult to move forward because it feels good to be cared about. There are people today who are out of a job and they're staying put thanks to unemployment checks and pity coming from others. And they're choosing to stay there. You're stuck in a valley if that's the case. If you're one of the 57% of college students in a recent poll that say that they're suffering from anxiety, but you're choosing to latch on to that terminology, those words, as your primary identity, I'm not saying anxiety is, is not real, okay? This is one of those, listen close, don't mishear me. But if you're choosing to say, this is the most important attribute to me, and you expect the world to shift around to match who I am as an anxious person, first and foremost, above every other thing that God has told me I am. If that's your choice, instead of working with God, working with a pastor, working with counselors to move forward, then you're in a valley today. If you're choosing to thrive on hopelessness and the attention that it gives you, then you're in 
a valley. And your valley, get this, is not your situation. Your valley is your attitude towards it. Christians are not immune to these valleys. Right? We just spiritualize them. We just make them sound good. Right? There are times where people will come and ask for prayer and in the back of their mind there's a little bit of them that almost hopes that it doesn't get answered. Because in the, real, in the reality, it was more about going up and talking about my problems so that person can give me comfort. And that's really what I came for, not an answer. That's not everyone. Don't go judging people who come up to the altar, okay? Even if they come up a hundred times, don't go judging them because you don't know. But you know you. We love to listen to quote-unquote worship songs about when darkness has overcome us, when we're hopeless and lost and scared. Right? Do we sing these songs because like the Psalms of David, we're, we're starting there, but we're moving out of it. We're coming to a place of faith. Or are we putting those songs on repeat in our car because misery loves company? I'm going to stay on this topic of worship for, for a few minutes here because it's important. I think this is a major key for so many people. Music will affect you. It will impact you. So often we undersell how powerful our worship can truly be. I'll share with you a couple stories, a couple examples of this. I teared up on the drive-in this morning thinking about this story and, and listening to the, the song that it was surrounding. Several years back, uh, probably, I'm getting old, eight years ago maybe now, something like that, before any of my kids were born, there was a story of a young boy who was kidnapped. He was thrown in this dude's car. Dude was driving off with him. And tear up now. This kid sat there in the car and all he could think to do was sing a song. I had to look it up. Hezekiah Walker, Every Praise. He sat there in the car of his captor singing the lyrics, God my Savior, God my healer, God my deliverer. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he sang that over and over and over again. And I don't know what happened in the heart or the mind of the guy who grabbed him and threw him in his car, but he pulled over and he said, get out. There is power in our worship. Power that sometimes it takes the faith of a child to understand. I'll give you another one. There was a missionary, and this is years and years ago, before I was born, believe it or not. Some of you are like, you're not that old. I feel it. <laughs> Three kids later, I'm like, whoo. Missionary went out. He was going to an unreached people group that had a track record for treating visitors very violently. He rolled up. He was surrounded. They had spears. They had shields. They were, they were ready to escort him away or escort him into the ground. I don't know which. But he set his stuff down and he pulled out his violin. And he started playing 
a song that I love, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Closed his eyes and played it. There's a part to that song that goes, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to Him ascribe all majesty and crown Him Lord of all. And when he played that part and he was singing the words in his head, he decided, I'm going to open my eyes. This is what this song is talking about. Let every tribe, let this tribe standing in front of me ascribe to Lord Jesus all majesty. Would Jesus receive praise from these men right here in front of me? And when he opened his eyes, some of them had knelt down. Some of them were doubled over in tears. God had broken them. There was no language connection that he could speak to them. But through the power of God Almighty being worshipped, God came and touched their hearts. I'll tell you, you can get a great idea of who's still in their valley and who's come out of their valley based on how they worship and what they worship too. I say this to say knowing the power that worship can have, it makes me have so little patience left for Christian songwriters that their aim with their song is to make you feel better because you can't see Jesus or you can't feel Jesus, but you know it's okay, I'll pat you on the back because He's out there somewhere, just take my word for it, he can hear you. I'm sure he loves you. He's, he's out there. Just trust it. I have such little patience for that. When there is power that God has given us in worship, I don't see that attitude reflected in Scripture. I'll tell you what I do see. I see Zacchaeus. He couldn't see Jesus either. I don't care. Someone probably came along to him and said, hey, it's okay. Jesus is close by. He can see you. That didn't matter to Zacchaeus. He didn't listen to those worship songs. He said, okay, that's good for you. I've got to see him. So he climbed up a tree so he could see Jesus. When I see the woman with the issue of bleeding, she couldn't feel Jesus either. And there were people who were probably telling her, that's okay, Jesus can see you. He, he can find his way over to you. That wasn't good enough. She had to feel Jesus. And she said, if Jesus isn't finding his way to me, I'm going to crawl. I'm going to push. I'm going to reach out my hand and I'll be the one to touch him if he's not coming to me. There was a blind man. Jesus was coming by. Someone told him, hey, that's Jesus going by. It wasn't good enough for the blind man that Jesus was close. No. He needed something from Jesus. And so there were those worship leaders, so to speak, writing songs in his ear saying, hey, hey, no, 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 chill, 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 dude, chill, dude. It's all good. It's all good. He's close. He's close. It's all dude. Stop, stop, stop. And he said, shut up. I'm not going to stop. Son of David, have mercy on me. He shouted and shouted, and there were naysayers telling him, hey, no, 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 it's all good. Chill out. And he said, no, I will shout until Jesus has come and laid his hand on me. When Jacob wanted a blessing, he didn't sing, sometimes the real blessing is in your no, God. That's not what he did. What did Jacob do? He gritted his teeth. He grasped his fist onto the cloak of God, and he said, I will refuse to let you go 
until you have given me my blessing. And God didn't say, what are you doing? Get your hands off of me. God said, I like this guy. I'm giving you your blessing. That's why I can't tolerate worship that tries to make you feel good about not seeing Jesus and not touching Jesus. That's valley worship, and we're not valley worshipers. Every single one of them who fought, who pushed, who believed, got what they came for. I'm going to ruffle some feathers this morning. Probably everybody's feathers. Something that I've heard said, thankfully not too many times. This ties in, so stick with me, okay? Is, I've heard white people like myself complain about a promotion, a job, a this, a that, that a black person got instead of them. And in their mind, the only conceivable reason is because there's unjust laws, and I was the better candidate, and if it weren't for this, that, or the other thing, justice would be done, and that would be mine. First things first, unless you were told that explicitly, that that is the reason, then that is a dangerous automatic assumption to jump to that you know you're the better qualified candidate. That's an ugly assumption to make if you're going to jump to that right off the bat. Unpack that some other time. Let's go, let's go to the extreme though, okay? Let's say, hypothetically, there is favor in play as part of whatever your circumstance that we're, we're thinking about here now. Do you know definitively, 100% for a fact, that all of that favor is coming from HR? Or is it possible? Is there a potential that maybe there's a little bit of God's favor in play too? I want to tell you that you're not the only person able to receive favor from God. Other people are eligible for it too. Other people who don't look like you are eligible for the favor of God too. He is not a respecter of persons. God is in the habit of promoting the people who really, really believe that He is capable of doing what He says. I'm going to make some very broad generalizations. And I recognize that these are broad strokes I'm painting. I recognize that there is a ton of nuance here that I can't get with without you sitting down with me and having a coffee. It's just not going to happen in the span of a sermon. Okay? But I think this thought bears hearing anyway. So I'm going to go. A lot of the music that I hear on some Christian radio stations, I say some, that are geared with a majority white audience have lyrics in them that you'd have a hard time distinguishing from early 2000s emo music. Right? Contrast that to the message that you hear in a lot, again, we're doing broad strokes here, of gospel music. 
okay? I started listening to gospel worship music when I work out because there's power. Again, it's a broad stroke. I'll read you some lyrics, though, from one of the songs that I was working out to the other day. Ain't nobody stopping my shine. The enemy can't stop me. Come and get your breakthrough because I'm going to get mine. Okay, so I just laid out two worship experiences for you. Okay, we got emo and we got, I'm going to get my breakthrough, go find yours too. Which one of those two sounds like, I'm going to climb a tree? Which one of those two sounds like, I'm going to push through the crowd? Which one of those two sounds more like, son of David, have mercy on me. I don't care. No, I'm going for it. Which one of those sounds like I'm going to wrestle and take hold of something? One of those sounds a little bit more like a declaration of faith that you really believe in a God that is unstoppable and an enemy that can't touch him than the other one. Hear what I'm saying this morning, please. I am not saying that God prefers one race over another, okay? And if you're hearing that, I want let's get some coffee because we got some stuff to figure out, okay? If that's what you took away from what I just said, let's talk because that's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not even saying that everything that calls itself gospel music is great to listen to or great worship, right? I'm not even saying that gospel is inherently a better supreme genre of music, right? I would say that probably a lot of the songs that we do here on Sunday morning wouldn't necessarily fit the bill for gospel music as a genre, but it's still really powerful and uplifting, and Hannah picks on the bill's faith. So again, we're using really broad strokes today. Don't get defensive. This is what I'm saying, though. If the worship that you offer God Sounds like it was written by My Chemical Romance, right? Some of you are like, what's that? Don't bother. <laughs> you don't want to know. If it sounds like simple plan, my girlfriend left me for the however many a time, right? If that's what your worship sounds like, then you don't get to complain about someone else getting favor on their lives and you not having it. Don't get stuck in envy of someone else's favor or blessings when you are perfectly capable of worshiping God in faith, believing, and going and getting your own. We still good? Not lose anybody? I didn't see anybody stand up and make a break for the door. Y'all at least being respectful doing it later, so I don't think it's about that. I know. Apparently I've got a reputation when I preach of stepping on toes. I'd, I'd hate to break my streak. <laughs> Whew, hallelujah. All right, where are we at now? Valleys. <laughs> Anything that we take comfort in, right, that keeps us stuck is a valley. Another way that we settle in a valley is when we make decisions based off of what will cause someone to expect less from us. Passing up opportunities at work for advancement because we don't want 
someone to actually watching what we do and having to be accountable for success. Ooh. That's a valley. Here's one. We struggle to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because we worry that if we get it, God might expect something more of us. That's the thing, y'all. He might give me a calling. He might give me a mission. If I get it, I won't be able to sit back and let others do the heavy kingdom lifting. I'm going to have to contribute. I want it. I want more of God. But, oh boy, I don't know how I feel about needing to be responsible to do more stuff. To those of you who may be here, I want to tell you this. Sorry to burst your bubble, but you remember the parable of the uh, the servants and the talents? Give you a little hint here. This servant that only had one talent, he was still responsible. He was not exempt from needing to be productive with what he had. There's no level of, well, I don't have enough, so I'm excused. Wherever you're at, you have enough. But God's going to hold you accountable anyway. And if he's going to do that, you might as well go for the five talents. Right? I want to tell you, never settle for living next to someone else's river down in your valley when God has called you to open up a well of living water inside of yourself. In the same thought process, I've personally seen someone almost not get delivered from a demon because they were worried that more would be expected from them. True story. And I, I, I want to clarify, first off, I'm not naming names, okay? So if you sign up for a deliverance session, we're not going to go tattle on you, okay? As I, as I read this off, you know, I, I don't want this to be a, oh my gosh, how could that person? No, I, I was so proud of this person for where they got and how they handled things. So this is, a, this is a testimony of God's goodness and a person's aligning themselves with Jesus. This isn't a shame on this person thing. Okay? Don't hear this wrong. In a deliverance session earlier this year, we were making some progress. There was some stuff getting stirred up clearly and obviously. But we were just struggling to, to get over the hump, to really get that person free from what was badgering them. The Holy Spirit revealed that they were worried about being held responsible for their own sin if the demon left. They were able to convince themselves that it was the demon causing them to sin, so it wasn't really their fault. Therefore, they don't have any personal responsibility for the choices they were making. God spoke something powerful to them. He, he told them, you don't need the devil to be your scapegoat when God has given you a lamb. This person made a powerful decision and without really prompting on our end, just began declaring, I am responsible for my own decisions. I am responsible for my choices. I will not pin blame on a demon anymore. I send you out. You don't have the right to stay. I don't need you to be my scapegoat because God has forgiven me. The blood of Jesus covers me. I will walk pure. I will be made holy. I will choose to be free from sin by my own choice. That kind of stuff. And I'd say probably within a minute. It felt like a minute of that. 
boom, she was delivered. I'm not going to get into the details. Some of y'all, oh, well, she, well, how'd you know it? She, trust me, she would deliver. <laughs> we knew. See, the thing is, the valley wasn't the demon that had her. The valley was her choosing to be comfortable blaming the demon for her sin and not taking ownership of her own walk and moving forward delivered and holy. Let's not mislabel the valley. Our valley can also be things that we take comfort in because we can hang our hat on them and pat ourselves on the back. We're doing good, but it keeps us stagnant. Pastors building their ministries on bringing in people and funds are stuck in a valley and a lot of them don't realize it. Believers who are content to work a great job, tithe, and do nothing else for the kingdom of God are likely settled down in a valley. You can be proud of the person you see in the mirror, but if you're stuck in one spot because, well, at least I've got this, right? I want to tell you you're in a valley. You're stuck. You can be proud of yourself and be stuck. We need to be wary that just like Lot, our valley might look really, really good. We may have a well-put-together valley, but it can be deadly to us all the same. Lot got really excited about his valley. Well, it may be a place of comfort. It may be familiar. I want to tell you that the kingdom is not found in the valley. Concerning Jesus, as we move into our second point here, John the Baptist said this, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. This is our second thought today. Following Jesus requires you, this isn't optional, it requires you to leave your valley. Jesus' introduction required that the valleys be filled in. His ministry is not done in a setting of comfort. Jesus will not be found in the valley. Notice this though, he's also not going to be found on the mountaintop. We don't advance the kingdom of God by isolating ourselves from others and waiting for some stone tablets up on the peak of a mountain. That happened. It was good when it happened. That's done now. We are to fill in every valley and we're to lower every mountain. We get so hung up and fixated on how to get to our next mountain though. When you're in the valley, where do you want to go? I've got to get back to the mountain top. Right? Jesus said, nah, level the mountain. Use that as fill dirt for the valley. We don't need them. He would rather pave over them to make a path forward for his kingdom. Church, it's time to stop getting so hung up on your mountains and your valleys and where are you today and where are you going. Okay? The kingdom of God has never been about ups and downs. It's about forwards, not backwards. Pick up your cross and follow me. You may have heard that one before. Run in such a way that you may win. You may have heard that one before. 
Here's some other ones for you. You were running well. Who hindered you from the truth? Let us run with endurance the race set before us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. The list goes on and on and on, right? Just look at how Jesus started His ministry. He took the twelve out of their jobs and out of their families and said, hey, we're going on a journey. Let's go. He took them out of comfortable valleys and He put them on the road. To the rich young man, He said, you have to give away everything. That was that man's valley. He couldn't follow until He came up out of the valley. Another example that I hear poorly, poorly misrepresented a lot of times is the parable of the lost sheep. Right? A lot of people who identify with this story take comfort in, I was the one. I'm the one sheep. And hey, I'm not here to push back on that. I was the one sheep too. And I'm very thankful that Jesus made a point to come get me. I'm not stealing anything from that, but it doesn't stop there. Okay? What I see in a lot of cases is people identifying the fact that Jesus loves me as a loner. And He came to be with me as a loner. And if He's going to come and find me while I'm all alone, then I can just keep being alone. And it's okay because Jesus loves me, and in fact, He probably likes me more than the 99 anyway. That's why He's with me. I'm not with those organized church folk, organized religion, doing this, that, taking people's money, ma, 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 ma. Jesus is really found with the one where they're doing it themselves and it's just me and God. No one can keep me accountable or push me forward or call me out. You heard that one before. If you've tried to win anybody to Jesus, you've probably heard that one before. I'm sick of hearing it. That's not how the story goes. Okay? Here's the irony. The whole point of Jesus going and finding the one wasn't because, oh man, this one, they've got it right. They're the spiritual ones. Forget you, 99. No, that's not the point. The point was Jesus said, hey, one, what are you doing? You've got a family. They miss you. You need to be part of that. Come on back. I need all my hundred. The whole point of him getting the one was to bring him back to the 99. Jesus didn't find a nice valley, set up camp with the one, and live out the rest of his days while the 99 died. Okay? No. He grabbed him so he could put him with the flock Bring him back into the fold, and once the herd was complete, it was time to move on to the next grain pasture, right? Hallelujah. If you're in a valley today, if your spiritual life has become stagnant, regardless of what reasons you give, that it's healthy, it isn't healthy. Stagnation is not healthy. It's time to move. Jesus is not going to be found in the valley, he's not going to be found on the mountain. You can only follow someone in motion. Get this tricky concept. If someone's moving, and I'm going to follow them, i got to be moving too. Huh? Blow your mind. But a lot of people still miss that. You can't follow someone who's in motion if you're not in motion. You can't stay put and say, I'm following Jesus, because Jesus isn't staying put. So many people, they get hung up on, man, I really need God to come visit me because I'm in the valley of the shadow of the death. Come, come sit down with me. I need your rod and your staff to come for me. Hey, again, I'm not speaking bad on that psalm. Let's read that. Let's be encouraged by it. But I don't know about you. I'd rather go get that comfort 
on my way up out of the valley of the shadow of death on the road and not ask Jesus to come hang out with me in the valley of the shadow of death when he has provided through Jesus a way to get out. I don't want to stay in the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to ignore your circumstances, okay, to leave the valley and follow him. Your circumstances are going to be there, right? You can get victory over a lot of them, but a lot of times when we take those first steps out of the valley, our circumstance is still right there next to us. But remember, it's not your circumstance that's the valley, right? It's the comfort you take in staying put. Healing, breakthrough, direction, and blessing all come easier when we are close to Him. We can choose not to find comfort in being stationary. We can come up out of the valley and we can deal with our situations side by side with Jesus. That's the better way. We can only get close to Him when we leave the valley. When we set our comfort aside for the sake of forward motion, we will see that the needs of others are also really important. We'll see that our own needs aren't the only ones that need addressed. Look at the book of Acts. The church in Jerusalem is awesome. It's a model for us to follow today. They did a lot of amazing stuff. I want to see revival like they saw in Jerusalem, right? But there came a point where God said, man, looks like you're getting a little comfortable. And persecution came. They were driven off. They were split up. They were sent out from Jerusalem. They were separated. And with that, the church got a new vision of what they should do. Or rather, I guess more accurately, right? God brought them back to the original vision that he told them in the first place. Hey, go be a witness for what I have done to the ends of the world. It's hard to do that when everybody in the whole world has got to come to Jerusalem to hear about it, right? That's the ultimate goal. People getting saved. God receiving the worship that He's due. Would a good God allow persecution to come on His own people? Ooh, there's a theological question. For the sake of helping them avoid settling in a valley? For the sake of His mission to see the lost saved? He absolutely would. We initially leave the valley for our own well-being, for us to be healthy, but we quickly learn that being a kingdom in motion is also about helping others up out of their own valleys. My final thought today, and it'll be quick and we'll close here, is that our mission is to bring others up from their valleys. Many people will never choose to leave their valley on their own volition. For some, it's because they just don't know anything else, right? For others, they have decided that their comfort will always be top priority. We read about Lot earlier, right? Let's come full circle on this story. He was wowed by the valley and everything that it had to offer. Wow, this is like a garden of God. I mean, ignore the fact that there's a city right there that makes Vegas look like a great place to raise kids. It's like a garden of God. He was so blinded by the beauty and provision that he ignored the fact that he was living in deep corruption all around him. 
It took others coming across to get him out of the valley of Jordan. Scripture says that Abraham interceded time and time again with the angels sent to destroy Sodom. You can see he gets more sheepish with each time he asks, hey, uh, there's 100 people that are holy. Do I say that? 50? 20? Each time he's like, oh man, I'm, God's going to be like, dude, stop. And he gets more like, eat, 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 each time he asks. And you may fact check me. I don't know if I got those numbers dead on. The last one was 10 though. I want to ask you this. Who are you interceding for so hard that you're at the point where you're wondering if God's upset that you keep bugging him about it? Are you interceding for anyone to the point where you're like, man, I don't know. I'm like almost embarrassed to ask again, God. If you haven't gotten there, then you're not interceding like Abraham did. There's room. Beyond that, the angels, it says, they told Lot what was going to happen. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just do this. Let me, can I talk to these guys? It says that the angels got to the point where they're like, dude. And it says they grabbed onto him and his family and they had to physically move them out of Sodom. Okay? There are people that we will come across that will not go without us dragging them. Who are you holding on to? Who is in a valley right now that has their life set for destruction that you refuse to let go of? Can we put aside our reasons for staying stuck? so we can turn into the people who liberate others? Can we stop reading about feeding the hungry and wondering who's going to feed us and start wondering who can I feed? Can we start seeing ourselves as the one doing the feeding, not the one getting fed? Can we be the ones who lay hands on the sick and see them recover instead of the ones comfortably sitting around just in case God decides He's in a mood to heal me today? Can we proclaim freedom to the captives instead of making up new prison cells to lock ourselves into? If we want any shot at successfully leading others out of the valley, we have to show them that it's possible with our own lives. The world is waiting to see stories of genuine men and women of God who have gotten off of their mountain and valley roller coaster, have moved out of sin, have moved out of stagnation, and are walking a narrow path that few find. The world needs to see that. We talked earlier about the downfalls of depressing Christian music, right? The world can't afford that, right? That's not doing the world any favors. The world can't afford to have their view of the church be this church that's stuck in the mud. We have a powerful message that resonates with stuck people. We do. Scripture says that we have a living hope. He's alive. It says that there is power for life in Jesus. There are stuck people who need to know there's hope in life. They need these things. Is our worship, is our life, is it the kind of Christianity that isn't going to help them with that? It's just going to pat them on the back while they're stuck? Or is it the kind that has the power to lift someone out of it?
Those of you who know me know that one of the things that I geek out about is some of these big, high-level, strongman competitions, World's Strongest Man being one of them, okay? World's Strongest Man wraps up today. Go Brian Shaw. Uh, that's aside from things. But I've been, I was struck by something earlier this week that I want to share with you. There's a guy who, former competitor, he won Europe's Strongest Man. He, like five, six years running, was in the finals, top 10 for World's Strongest Man. Tough, strong dude. Lawrence Chalet. It's British. And he uh, does recaps now. He kind of follows along and, and does these videos. And because for whatever reason, World's Strongest Man isn't live broadcast anywhere, he's got a YouTube show where he'll find out the results from his buddies and tell everyone how it's going. And I was listening to one on Thursday for the prelims. And they were waiting for some results to get in, so they started doing some Q&As. It was him and his wife, Liz. And he admittedly will we'll tell you that he's not a religious person. But his wife spilled the beans in one of the Q&As about something. That really hit me. In that Q&A, one of the questions was, hey, Big Laws, Uncle Laws, Lawrence Shelley Laws, when you're going for a one rep max, when you're going to set a new personal best, what's your pump-up music? And his wife said, actually, you'd be surprised by this. I'm going to answer this one. You never fancy yourself a, a religious person, but when you really need to go for it in the gym, I've heard you playing these sermons and messages from ministers to get you pumped up to do that big lift. Just pause on that for a second. One of the strongest men to walk the planet in recent years, when they were at a point where they needed to draw on something more powerful than what they had, when they needed to believe in something that for everyone in this room, we would look at the weight on that bar and go, ha, impossible. Where was he drawn? To the Word of God being preached. Don't for a second tell me that we don't have a powerful message that the world wants to hear. They need it. Don't tell me evangelism is hard if you're still in your valley. You don't get to say that. If you're stuck in your valley living powerless Christianity, you don't get to tell me evangelism is hard. There are people yearning for what we have access to. People want to hear about hope and a power that can overcome. But here's the catch. They can tell if you really believe it or not. Church, it might just be time to evangelize yourself. It might be time to really look at yourself and say, do I actually believe in a God who can do the things I see in Scripture? I want to tell you, if you're hooked on depressing, complacent Christianity, do the world a favor. Don't go trying to win souls to your version of Christianity. Get out of your valley. Begin taking faith risks. Push ahead. Try something to advance God's kingdom. Watch God come through. Realize this is the real deal. And then you go do it. 
Hallelujah. When you've seen it for yourself, you will know that you have something worth sharing and you will know that the person you're talking to has something worth hearing. And you'll do it differently. The world needs to see what a life lived outside of the valley can look like. And I'll tell you, they're not going to see it from the buddy they're drinking with at 2 a.m. in the bar. They need to see it from you. In closing, if you are ready to move out of wherever you're comfortable, wherever you're stuck, it's a simple response today. I want to tell you to come forward. Don't wait. Do it right now. If you are at a place where you are ready to move out of comfort, come forward. Let the movement out of your seat today be symbolic of you moving out of your valley, of you tearing down the home that you've built on whatever it was that had you stuck and saying, I'm going to find my healing on the road. I'm going to find my breakthrough on the road. I'm going to see God do for me what I know He can so others can see too. If you feel like, hey, I'm not coming forward because I'm, I'm kind of already there. I'm, I'm on the road with Jesus. Great. Come forward and intercede like Abraham right now. Cry out like Abraham. Intercede like Abraham for someone who is stuck. Lift your voice like Abraham. Call out for that person to be saved. circumstances aside you can choose to keep moving out of your valley and God today we choose to leave our valleys fill them in behind us as we leave tear down the idea I have in my mind of some far off mountain that I'll never get to that I'm always striving for and I'll never reach it tear down that mountain fill in the valley behind me I'm not trying to seek the next high. I'm not wallowing in my low. I'm moving forward today, Jesus. Make that your prayer. Jesus, lead me on a level path with you. Tell him I'm not staying down in my valley anymore. I'm going to where you are today, Jesus. Whatever I need from you, I will get on the road as we move forward together God lead me to someone else's valley strengthen my grip to pull them out hallelujah thanks for listening to the sermon of the week this message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.